Good morning, good morning. Folks, you're so welcome to the vineyard. My name's Andy, I'm part of the team here. If you are a guest or a visitor, um, you're really, really welcome. We are starting a new series this morning called Learning to See. How many of you know that it's possible for two people to look at exactly the same thing and see something different? You ever have that moment? So one of the places I see this most often is newborn babies. Um, Most of our parents of newborns are in the 945, so it's a wee bit safer to talk about in here. Um, But you ever have that moment, you know, where someone's showing you their newborn baby and they're going, aren't they the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? And you can't, of course, say no, but inside you're thinking, I hope it doesn't turn out to be an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Too far. Too far. Listen, I have three kids, and um, I think most of you would agree, and it's not biased parenting, my kids are absolutely beautiful, and it's got nothing to do with me, this is what happens whenever you have a multi-ethnic family, mixed kids typically are uh, much better looking than non-mixed kids, sorry, um, but it's, it's just true, um, but what I have to tell you is, my kids are beautiful, they're four and six, but uh, one of them, I can't tell you which one, one of them really struggled when they were born, like, and it, like, it, was, it was difficult, um, but... We got over it. <laughs> we got there. But it's true, and it happens in lots of other places other than babies. Um, and the magic number, six, six to 12, right? Six to 12 weeks, they actually morph into the most beautiful thing any of us have ever seen, right? I have a wee niece. She's eight weeks old. She is the most beautiful thing ever, but yeah, move on. Stop talking about babies, Andy. Anyway, um, it's true. We can look at things. We can look at the same thing and see something different. It happens all the time. We look at something and we see things that maybe aren't quite there or we see things just just really differently. Whenever I lived in uh, L.A., I, I moved into downtown L.A. for a while. And I'll never forget moving in. When I was moving into downtown L.A., all my friends, this is about 12 years ago, all my friends had the exact same conversation with me. Andy, be really careful. Like, it's properly dangerous. Do not go out on your own at night. Don't go out uh, walking. Make sure somebody is with you or drive everywhere. Do not leave the apartment on your own after dark. One afternoon, I was studying in my apartment and studying drift into the evening. And I, was, I hit one of those kind of energy kind of sags where I was like, oh, man, I really need a coffee. I had no coffee in the apartment. And there was a coffee shop three blocks walk from where I lived. And I kind of looked outside. It wasn't quite dark, but it definitely wasn't really, really sunny. It was sort of that in-between time. And I thought, like, how, like it's three blocks. How bad can it go, you know? And uh, I never saw anything weird or strange around where I lived. And so I thought, I'm just going to walk over there quickly, grab a coffee, walk home. So I walk out of my building, up to the corner, I turn right. And the first thing that struck me was, like, there was nobody around. Like, it, it looked pretty, pretty deserted. Apart from two guys that were a little bit in front of me, walking the same direction. And they both had hoods up. And so I thought, that's a bit interesting. And uh, so we started to, they're walking this way, I'm walking this way, and they're a bit in front of me, and I'm, I'm just feeling a wee bit like, well, there's really not too many people around, I probably need to be careful. And as I'm walking, one of them does this and looks right at me. Ever have a moment where, like, your blood just turns to ice? Like, and I was like, that's, that's really odd. 
And I started to kind of think through what's, maybe this was a really bad decision. Maybe I should just kind of go back. But all the while, I'm still kind of walking, feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And then the other guy turns around and looks right at me. And now I'm thinking I'm in trouble here. So I started to think, what's, what's the best response? Like, do I run towards them, try to get ahead of the game and turn into a mugger myself? Or turn and leg it back to my apartment? And all the while this is going on, their pace is slowing, and so the distance is getting less. And then out of nowhere, both of them stop and turn around, looking right at me with their arms folded. I'm like, this is it. This is that moment you get mugged in LA. And I've got flip-flops on, and I'm (laughs) totally regretting that choice. And everything in me is like, fight, run, what should I do? And literally, seconds before I decide to whip my flip-flops off, chuck them at the two guys, and run, a bus pulls up where they're standing, And the two of them get on the bus, and off they go. And I'm like, I think I I just missed being mugged by like 20 feet there. Or the two guys were getting a bus all along. And the whole time, they're walking, they're looking for the bus. And they get to the bus stop, and stop, and turn around, and wait for the bus. Isn't it amazing how so often we can see things in situations and scenarios that aren't really there? I wonder how often that happens to you. I wonder in your relationships how common that is. Maybe in work. I observe this in people all the time where they see stuff that isn't actually there. I know that person's talking about me right now. Really? Like if you could, if you could guarantee that kind of skill, you'd probably have a much bigger bank balance than you have right now. You know, I know exactly what's going on in that situation. And we see things that aren't actually there. Something, though, that I think, and I want to talk about this this morning, that is potentially a little bit more dangerous than seeing things that are not there is not seeing things that are. Not seeing things that are. We're going to look at a story in the scriptures this morning where two men literally go for a walk with God and have no idea he's there. Like they quite literally go for a walk with God and they have no clue that's what's happening. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. It's page 733 um, in the Black Bibles, hopefully sitting around you. Luke 24, page 733. We're going to read from verse 13 on. says this, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to us. Change us, challenge us, inspire us, and comfort us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's a bit of a mad story. Verse uh, 13 says, now that same day, the story begins, now that same day. What same day? If you read the first 12 verses of Luke 24, you read the account of the resurrection. This is Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday. This is where we find these two guys, and we only know the identity of one of them. His name is Cleopas. Many scholars would argue and think that the other guy is actually one of the original 12 disciples. But anyway, they're walking to a village called Emmaus. And they're not talking about the weather. They're not talking about the sports results. They're not talking about the anniversary that's coming up and what they're going to buy their spouse. They're processing everything that they've just witnessed over the past week. Everything that they've just seen happen, their world has literally collapsed in round them. You see, these two guys have grown up in Israel. They've been raised around the story of the coming Messiah. For centuries, their people have been longing and praying and hoping and prophesying that one day God would send his king to liberate them. That one day God would set them free from everything and everyone that oppresses them and that harms them. And these two companions were convinced that Jesus was that king. Or at least they really hoped he was. You see, he did things no one had ever seen before. Miracles followed him and flowed from him. Whenever he spoke about the scriptures uneducated people saw things about God that they had never seen or dared to believe possible before. And they were desperate for Jesus to be the one that they had hoped and longed and waited for. 
Just seven days previous, they would have been among those that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as the coming king. They all gathered and they yelled this statement, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That is what they said about Jesus. They were convinced that Jesus was arriving in Jerusalem to start the revolution that would overthrow Roman oppression and install God's rule and reign for the flourishing of their community. That's what they thought. Just, just seven days previous, they were convinced they would be the privileged few that would have front row seats to God's revolution and victory on earth. And they go into that week with all of the spiritual and politically charged atmosphere. They have a seat at the Last Supper dinner and then on Good Friday, everything falls apart. As the one they were convinced was going to lead their revolution is arrested, tortured, and brutally murdered. They were expecting a victory lap, and now they're walking with their sorrow, confusion, brokenness, and pain, trying to get some handle on what is true. I wonder if you ever had a moment like that, where it just feels like in an instant your world falls apart. Everything that you thought was assumed, everything that you thought was sure, everything that you thought was going to happen or become your life seems to just fall apart. Like sand falling through your hands, watching as you can't really do anything, unsure of what's sure anymore. I wonder how many of you are in a moment like that, maybe even just this morning, news this week. Tragedy this past year, things going on in your life where this isn't how I thought this would go. Things not quite working out the way that you thought they would. Maybe a job that you thought was for life is pulled right out from underneath you. Maybe that person you were dating and imagining a future with and it hasn't quite worked out. Maybe a routine trip to the doctor has all of a sudden flipped your life, world, and family right upside down. This is where they are. Walking and talking, trying to process what's just happened. And verse 15 says this, As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came and walked along with them. Don't you love that picture? As they are sharing the depth and the complexity of everything that's just happened, Jesus himself comes and walks alongside them. That part's beautiful. The next bit's just confusing. The scripture says, but they were kept from recognizing him. Why would, why, why? You ever, you ever have that moment in the scriptures? You read something, you're like, that's not how I would do it. Like, what is, what is going on there? Why would... I mean, he's got all the answers, right? Like, you can imagine the scene, them, like, walking along, 
like the depth of their pain and anguish, I cannot describe to you. This isn't just like they lost a friend, right? The entire future of their family and their nation is wrapped around what they hoped Jesus had. And that all falls apart. Yes, they've lost a friend, but the consequences are way bigger, right? This is the most painful, excruciating thing they could have imagined possible. And they're walking along talking about it. I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm skipping up. Hey, guys, I'm here. Don't be so sad. Yeah, it was mad. Friday was crazy. Wasn't Friday crazy, but hey, I'm alive. Crack open the champagne, call your friends, let's party. And the text says that his identity was kept hidden from them. Why? We get nothing from the text to suggest an answer, but I have a theory, and it's, it's only my opinion. But I, I wonder, did God want to listen to how they were processing it? You ever have people in your life who when you talk, particularly about difficult things, like you just get the sense that they're telling you what they want you to hear. Any of you ever know any people like that? This, is, this happens in my job all the time because people think I'm the holy man. And uh, then they have to give me the right answer. Right? So that, you know, when talking about things that are difficult or challenging, but, you know, I know, I know God has it and I know everything's going to be fine. And quite often, I, as gently as I hope I can, push back and say, Really? You really think that? Because you know it's okay if you think he's nowhere to be seen. It's okay to say that you think he's abandoned you. It's okay to say I have no idea where God is in this. Because one of the things I know about God is he is passionate about us being able to be honest. And I'm quite convinced if Jesus just rocks up into this moment. God doesn't actually get to experience the honesty of what they're living through. And so he is hidden in this moment. And then Jesus asks them what they hear as the most ridiculous question imaginable. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You remember that moment when Donald Trump was elected? I, I woke up 6 a.m. to a text message from a friend that was just a series of expletives. And I knew exactly what had happened. Do you remember that, that moment where the entire world is talking about what has just happened? This is that moment on steroids. Like what they have just lived through is the most unbelievable, outrageous, world-shaking thing. And they're processing it, and Jesus is like, what, what, what are you talking about? And Cleopas's answer, I think you can hear in it the pain and anguish that he's living with. He says, are you the only person that doesn't know what's just happened? How can you possibly be asking the question, what are we talking about? Everybody's talking about the same thing. Where have you been? How can you possibly 
Ask that question. You know, I have found myself many times in my life when things have got particularly difficult personally or in our family or in what I observe in some of your lives, praying prayers that sound something like this. God, do you see what's going on here? Like, what are you, what are you looking at? Like, God, do you, do you see what I'm seeing here? And so often, really gently, I, I feel like God often whispers back, and if you could see what I see, you'd feel differently. If you could see this the way I see it, you'd feel different. One of the prayers that we talk about praying here in the vineyard all the time, two, two of the most important prayers you'll ever pray, God, what do you see? And God, what do you say? Because if you're anything like me, what you see, what I see, often aren't the same as what God sees. And what you and I say aren't often what God would say. Maybe, maybe that's just me. But disciplining ourselves to approach our situations, our challenges, and all of that sort of stuff with the question, God, what do you see here? I see chaos, I see pain, I see brokenness. What do you see? And what are you saying? Their conversation continues as they begin to explain to Jesus what has just happened. And verse 21 is the crux of the conversation, but verse 20 leading into that, they're they're explaining to Jesus what's just happened to Jesus. And they say, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, here it comes. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. I wonder when was your last but I had hoped moment. I wonder how many of you this morning are living through a but I had hoped moment. This is not how this was supposed to go. Ten weeks before Dana and I got married, I uh, broke my ankle and needed surgery to fix it. And uh, I spent the two months before our wedding in a cast, and I got married in a moon boot. The photos are class. Because of that, I lost my job. I was unemployed. And... uh, We moved back from the States into a borrowed house. We filled it with borrowed furniture. And I had 90 days to find work before my new bride had to leave and go back to America because she couldn't get a visa until I had employment. I'll never forget, for two months, the sense of, God, I had hoped this would have been different. She go to bed at night, praying for God to change the situation, send a job, do, do anything. And I, I couldn't get a conversation out of my mind through that season in my life. And it was the conversation I had with Dana's parents when I asked them for their blessing to marry her. And the promise I'd made to provide for her family and take care of her. 
And here we are in a borrowed house filled with borrowed furniture waiting for us to have to say goodbye as I try and find work. This is where these guys are at. This is that moment. We had hoped this would have been so different. This is not what we imagined for our lives. Verse 22 says, In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning but didn't find a body. Instead, they saw angels who said Jesus was alive. But when some of our friends went to the tomb, they didn't see. Here's what you need to understand here. Is in this context, uh, women were, uh, I, I don't know an unoffensive way of saying this, they were like rejects in society. They weren't credible witnesses. They were supposed to be quiet and stay at home. And so when the women go and see angels and find an empty tomb, and the angels tell them that Jesus is in fact risen, and they go and tell the guys, the guys go and check it out and they don't see. Hence, these two are walking in despair. How often does God hide revelation in the rejected? How often does he hide his wisdom in those that we would find offensive to receive it from? How many times are we looking for a credible witness when the answer or the truth or the insight is right in front of us? It's just offensive for us to hear it from there. And this is what's happened. God was with them, but they did not see. I have to tell you that the times in my life when I have found it hardest to see God are so often, so often in hindsight, the times when I see him the most. The times of my deepest struggle, darkness, or pain, in the moment where I find it hardest to see him stretch out six months or a year or two, and I look back and I see God all over it. Present in our pain, with us in our mistakes, there when we are alone and afraid and working in us, preparing us to better be positioned to receive all that he is leading and calling us into. It's important I caveat this by saying God does never orchestrate pain. It's not who he is. God didn't break my leg to teach me a lesson. But postured correctly, boy, did he use that time to better prepare me to receive all that he was calling me into and towards. And then my favorite part of the story. The two guys get to where they're going. And Jesus appears to just want to keep on walking. They've been in the most intense discussion, trying to figure all of this stuff out. Jesus has kind of scolded them and give them like a, a bit of a theology lesson. And then they, they get there and the two guys are going to go into the house and it looks like Jesus is going to keep walking. I wonder how many times in your life have you let him walk on? 
How many times in your life have you been talking with him, journeying with him, processing the crisis, and then the crisis passes, and you just go back to your life, and Jesus just keeps on walking? Do you know, guys, I honestly wish this weren't true, but Jesus doesn't force himself on any of us. He's poised and ready all the time to respond to our invitation. But he's not kicking any doors down. He's just there saying, will you invite me? And so he looks like he's walking on. And then it says that the two guys strongly urge him to come with them. Something was going on in the conversation. The end of the story, it says, when they're reflecting on it, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke? Something was happening where we were filled with courage and faith and life and healing and hope. Something was going on that the idea of saying goodbye was just crazy. So they strongly urged him, please don't go, come, keep talking to us, keep talking to us. And so he goes into the house with them. Hannah, why don't you and the guys come back up? Whatever happens post-entering the house, they get to dinner. It's been a long walk. They're all a bit tired. And they get to dinner. And it says that Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. I wonder, does that sound familiar to any of you? That Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. If in this story, this is Sunday, this had just happened on Thursday evening. They, they sat around a table with Jesus. And he began to talk about this thing called a new covenant. And he takes bread and he gives thanks to God. And he breaks it, talking about how his body was going to be broken. And he gives it to them. And then he takes wine he starts to talk about his blood and he pours it out this is what's going to happen to me of course on the Thursday night none of them were quite ready for the next 24 hours but having lived through Friday finding themselves in this moment you have to think in their minds all kinds of fireworks start going off Could this be Jesus? Is this that? Like he said his body was going to be broken like bread. And then we were there as nails were driven through his bones into wood. As flesh was ripped off his body like we were pulling this bread apart. He said that his blood was going to be poured out and we watched as it flowed down the cross and pulled at the bottom. And here is this man doing this again, but now it's Sunday and Friday has happened. Could it be him? Could it be that he was who he said he was? Could it be that the world that we thought had just imploded had actually just exploded could it be in the moment of deepest pain and darkest shadow and deepest doubt that 
faith is given birth to in a way that they never imagined possible. And then it says their eyes were opened and they saw it was him. Their eyes were opened and they saw it was him. many of you this morning need your eyes open. You need to see that it's him. That he's been there the whole walk. He hasn't gone away. He hasn't abandoned you. That he's right there. Offering himself.